0: Two of you are good. How about the rest of you? How are you doing? All right, a mixed response, but uh, it's good to, good to have you all here. I'm excited about today, especially that we're jumping into the famous passage, Deuteronomy 6. I want to encourage you to do something a little different today. Maybe you haven't done this for a long time, but uh, there's a, a Bible in the bench probably close to you. And if you do have one, I, I encourage you to grab it. And I want to, I'm going to encourage you to follow along in the actual uh, paper Bible there. So um, so I, the page number you'll need to go to is page 145. That's where you'll find Deuteronomy 6. And that's the scripture that was read to us, and it's also the scripture we're going to go back through today. So page 145 in your bench Bible there. And uh, once you've got that... Um, We'll go through it. Um, In the Bible, we find the story of Exodus. Um, It's a story of where God uses Moses to lead the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. And after he does this, he gives them laws. Now remember, they were a people that were enslaved. They didn't have their own laws. They lived under the laws of Egypt. They lived in slavery. And so uh, God wants to teach this nation of former slaves... How to be a nation. I mean, they weren't, hadn't really been a nation before this. How to be a nation that lives in a good relationship with God and a good relationship with each other. And so what we're reading today in Deuteronomy 6 comes 40 years later. So the Exodus happens. They come out of Egypt. And at Mount Sinai, Moses gets the Ten Commandments and all the laws. And he delivers them and, and declares them and teaches them to the Israelites but then they wander through the wilderness for 40 years, lots of um, you know, ups and downs and, and some disobedience and rebellion and stuff. And 40 years later, they're finally ready to go into the land that God has promised them. And um, that's where we come to what we're reading today in Deuteronomy 6. Moses is teaching them God's laws again, the same ones he taught them before. And that's what Deuteronomy means. It means a repetition of the law. They're reminding, uh, Moses is reminding the people what God requires of them as his chosen people before they go into the land that God has promised them. So if you want to follow along in your Bible there, page um, page 145, we'll start at verse 1. Look for the big number 6 on the page. If you're just getting familiar with how to use a Bible, that's what you're looking for. So these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. Now, the reason for the repetition of the law is so that their children, that they and their children and their grandchildren, you'll see that three generations are mentioned here, would know what is right and what is wrong according to what God expects of them. Now, a second reason that they're given this is so, so that they live with a proper respect for God. Here it's called fear, a reverent fear for God. And you might find that a little strange, that we're supposed to fear God. Well, yes, because the real reality of our lives is that you always obey the one you fear the most. Does that seem strange to you? Give, let me give you a scenario. So uh, mom comes out, it's, it's supper time, and she sees her son out on the lawn playing with the neighbor kid, and she says, hey, come in now for supper. It's time to eat. And the neighbor kid says, don't listen to your mom. Come with me and play in the park. What is your son going to do? Well, it depends on who he fears the most. I mean, what's the repercussions for not listening to his buddy in the neighborhood? He might get teased, and, uh, it, you know... It, he will feel bad disappointing his friend. But what are the repercussions for not listening to mom? I mean, this is mom, the one who has the power to take away all screen time forever. <laughs> so yes, he loves his mom, and lots of times we obey and do things because we love. But you know, at the end of the day, who do you fear? Right? Right? Now, a lot of people don't like the analogy, but it's the reality that you can be in a healthy relationship where you fear and love at the same time, right? And that is, that's a great way to describe, in some ways, the parental relationship. It's that they have the ability to bless your life like crazy, to make your life wonderful and exciting and great. And at the same time, they have the ability to discipline you, to bring correction that really hurts right? Losing all your screen time or, or whatever else. And so we obey the one that we fear. It's a crazy thought. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe you don't want to tweet that out. But I think it's actually true. And when you read the Bible story, um, Exodus 20, I didn't include this in my notes, but Exodus 20, 20 is one of my favorite verses for understanding this. They're at Mount Sinai. It's lightning and thunder and God's power on display, and the people are freaked out. And they say to Moses, don't let God speak to us or don't have us interact with God. Just you be our representatives. We're scared of God. Of course, they've seen him decimate the power of Egypt already. And now on Mount Sinai, they're having another demonstration of his power. And Moses said, no, 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 in Exodus twenty twenty Again, a little bit of a paraphrase, but basically... This, this, will, um, this fear of the Lord is good for you. It will keep you from sinning. And they were going to need to have a healthy fear of the Lord going into the land of Canaan because they're going to encounter opposition, big armies, giant men, big men, all sorts of warriors and different things. And they were going to have to know that their God was the one who had the power, not the ones who opposed them. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what it says in Proverbs. So it's where we begin in having a healthy life, is respecting that God has the power. And can God bless you in amazing ways? Oh, unbelievable. More than you can imagine. But at the same time, to defy God is not wise. It's not, it's a foolish thing. To stand against God. You have to realize he's a powerful God and have a healthy respect for him. So God's power on display in delivering them from Egypt through the ten plagues in, in the book of Exodus would have been enough for the previous generation to have a healthy reverence for God. But this is a new generation that's going into the promised land. Most of them were, they were born in the desert, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. And they hadn't seen the Egyptian miracles, they'd seen the wilderness miracles, those are still pretty impactful and amazing. But they needed to have a healthy respect for and regard for God. There's another reason that this teaching is happening, and it's because, and it's a result of knowing what God expects, what He says is right and wrong, and having a healthy reverence for Him, that through careful obedience, they could experience the rich blessing of God in their lives. And this is what it says at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. So look back at the text. It says, So that you may enjoy long life. That's sort of the sentence that's following up uh, fearing the Lord. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it will go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So three great things in here. Um, Israel's obedience can unlock the possibility of enjoying a long life, things going well, and increasing greatly in the land. Now, it sounds a lot like what Jesus would say thousands of years later. Um, Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is great to know about God, his intentions towards humanity. He wants us to experience a full life. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died a sacrificial death on the cross for you and me, so that we could I mean it's not the whole picture, but that's a big component of it the full life of relationship with God. And here in Deuteronomy six, we're seeing this again that God wants to unlock the possibility of of being blessed by God in incredible ways. So what if you don't obey? What if they didn't obey? What if they weren't careful to obey? A later generation uh, is a great example of what happens when you don't obey. Joshua was the leader who came after Moses and he and his generation, they led very well and they experienced God's blessing and they came into the land of promise and, and there's some really good things happening. But eventually Joshua and his generation passed away. And so Judges 2, 10 to 14 talks about what happened next. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew Neither the Lord, nor what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Those were idols. So they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Astra's. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. So let me just point out a few things. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. This is, uh, this is what every generation needs. They need, they need careful attention to the scripture, the repetition of reading the scripture. You say, well, I've read the Bible once. I don't know why I'd read it again. It's because as you read the Bible, you're thinking God's thoughts after him. Your thoughts aren't naturally as his ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And we want to think those higher thoughts of God repeatedly so that we think correctly. We think rightly about what's right and what's wrong according to God. So they needed careful attention to the scripture to know the Lord. And they needed the story of how God had acted on behalf of their parents and grandparents in order to have a healthy reverence for God. But they didn't have those things. So maybe they stopped talking about how God saved them from Egypt. Maybe they stopped talking about how he led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. Maybe they stopped um, keeping the word of God, the book of the law, front and center, in their practices as families. But as a nation, a whole generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. And it says that without a steady connection to the book of the law, to the scriptures that they had at the time, and without an ongoing recounting of what God had done for them, it says that they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. You know, every culture has many things that people worship. There's lots of gods, or I'll put them in brackets, gods. Money could be a god. Fame, status, sex, power, comfort, influence, or just ourselves could be the gods in our lives. And just like we are tempted by those uh, things, to worship them, to run after them, to make them ultimate in our lives, the next generation, our kids, will also be tempted by those things. And what they need in order to resist worshiping these false gods that aren't really gods, they they need to know the Lord. And they need to know what he's done for the previous generations. So it says they were no long it says at the end that God gave them into the hands of the raiders, which sounds a lot like Romans chapter 1. It says God gave them over like people who just Pushed, you know. Even though creation is sort of speaking that there's God out there and there's all, they sort of know something about God, they sort of push that knowledge about God as far away from them as they possibly can. And then God just, what does God do? He just gives them over to the natural outcome of those things. In this case, he gives them over to the hands of raiders. Why was that the natural outcome? Well, the, the, the line at the end really helps us. Whom they were no longer able to resist. See, Israel was not a mighty nation, they existed against all odds because of the protection of God. When his divine protection was removed, when they said, Oh, we're not worshiping God, we're gonna just we wanna go after Baal or Asher, these all these different idols that were the common things that people worshiped of the day. And they were no different from our modern-day idols in many ways. I mean, maybe you don't have the statue that you worship, but those statues that they worshipped, it was the key to getting money and power and influence and sex and prosperity. They made those things ultimate instead of, of serving the one true God. So it says they were no longer able to resist. And their forgetfulness had caused them to assume that their current standing was solely based on what they had done. And when they trusted in their own strength and God turned them over to fend for themselves, they found it wasn't enough. They had other nations that came in and defeated them. So what should we do to prevent our kids from becoming a generation who knows neither the Lord nor what he has done for us? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. By the way, Deuteronomy 6 verses probably 4 to 9 are the most Important verses in the Old Testament when it comes to the topic of parenting. I'm not the only one who would say this. Lots and lots of scholars would say, this is, this is ground zero when it comes to parenting. And some people would even say they're the most important verses in the Old Testament period. The Jewish people had a statement for, especially uh, verses four and five, they call it the Shema. The Shema statement. I don't have time to dig into that this morning. But this is, these are significant, important uh, verses uh, that we're looking at today, verse four: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So all the other gods people worship are not gods; they're worthless idols. And there's only one God. He's the and and He's the only God. Now, only God. This was a foreign concept at the time, like monotheism, only one God. That was that was something that you know people weren't used to. Why should you follow this God? Why should you follow him? Well, because he's the only God. The gods of Egypt and the gods of the Canaanites, they're not gods. They're idols. They have no power. And there's only one God. Or, as Captain America says, there's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Hey. Eh. Now, by the way, Captain America and the Avengers are also fictional characters. And they also are not gods. So I'm not appealing to authority by saying Captain America said it. But as Captain America's best attempt at the Shema statement. There's only one God, ma'am, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. I love that, movie, that line in the movie. So verse 4 says, "Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5 follows it up with, Since there's only one God, since he is the only God, What should our response be? And this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus said that this was the first and greatest commandment. When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he pointed to this one in verse 5. So what does it mean? Well, first, what does it mean to love with all your heart? In the Bible, uh, the heart is sort of a, there's a lot of things involved when the Bible talks about your heart. Right? It's not talking about your blood-pumping muscle. It's talking about um, your will, your desires, your passions, your affections, your perceptions and thoughts as a man thinks in his heart. Interesting, because we think we think in our brain. But again, it's, it's, it's not your blood-pumping muscle. It's, 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 uh, it's sort of the core of you. So love God with all your heart, with all of those things. And then it says, love God with all your soul. Well, what is your soul? Well, soul and life are sort of, they often get interchangeable in different places in the Bible. So it's really talking about the rest of your life. So everything else about you, how you talk, what you do with your hands, how you utilize your talents, how you react to challenges, everything else in your life. Love him with that. And the last one is, Love God with all your strength, or some translations say all your might. So what's that? Well, it's all your resources, your power, your wealth, your influence, whatever you have at your disposal. So it could include your marriage, your children, your house, if you're a student, your dorm room, your pets, your wardrobe, your computer, your tools, your cell phone, your movies, Your music, your time, just everything that you have. So love God with all that you are and all that you have. Be wholehearted in your love for God. So now, some of you came today and said, I thought this was supposed to be about parenting. Well, it is. What does God want to do in you and through you? What does God want to do in you through being a parent? We say that's a vital relationship. What is God, how is God using you as a parent? How is he working in you? And what is he working out? Well, he wants you to be wholehearted in your love for God. And he'll use your kids to do it. He will. Through your kids, he'll mature you. And he'll make you more like Jesus in your character, if you're willing. He'll expose layers of selfishness. And he'll begin to peel those back in your life and, and, and change them with a sacrificial love like Jesus. It's been said that when you get married, you give up half your rights. And when you have kids, you give up the other half. You know, the Canadian birth rate has fallen to 1.4. So what does that mean in mathematics? Well, if Canada was 10 people, five guys, five girls, then... Um, because the birth rate's 1.4, the generation that they would give birth to would be seven people. And then the generation that they would give birth to would be five people. So the people that are having kids right now, if the birth rate doesn't change, there will be half as many grandkids as there was grandparents. Now in Canada, we have this wonderful luxury that we bring more people into our country through immigration and that's been great. I love when people come to this country. I love telling them, I'm so glad you're here, I really want you to flourish and grow and do well in this country, I want Canada to be a great place for you. But the reality is, numerically, that if we want to continue for Canada to continue its population base for every seven children that are born, we need three new people to come to Canada. That's the ratio that we, we currently have. Lots of countries in the world, I mean birth rates, I was looking into this, it got, I want to, don't want to go too far. The highest birth rates in the world are in Africa. Uh, Niger, the country of Niger, not Nigeria, but Niger, I think they have 6.8 is the average. So each woman on average has 6.8 children, so that's quite high. The lowest is South Korea. They're the first country that I have ever heard of that's actually dropped below one. They're at 0.9 children per women. So in two generations uh, where we would only have five grandkids for every uh, grand, you know, for every grandparent, they're only going to have two and a half grandkids for every uh, ten parents. Did Did I say that right? Yeah. So crazy stuff. So some parts of the world are expanding in population, some parts are shrinking in population, and immigration. And even and, and migration is sort of making up the difference. So that's what's happening in our world. And I think because we have really wonderful winters, people want to come to Canada. And so that's why they're here. We're excited. If you come to Canada recently, we're thrilled that you're here. We're absolutely thrilled that you're here. And we want uh, you to be blessed in Canada and have an incredible life in our country. So that's what I'll say. But I wonder about the 1.4 birth rate. I wonder all the factors. I know some of the factors, right? It takes longer to get career established, especially when you're not just going to school for maybe four years. Maybe, maybe now a lot of people are going to school for more like seven years or eight years. So that means that you a lot of people are pushing back having children. Um, another stat I was reading was the average age for first child. Like if a, if a woman is going to have a child, what's the average age? And uh, this is a few years, it's about three or four years old stat, but 28 and a half is the average age. So 28 and the most, you know, the average to all the women, when are they having their first child? 28 and a half. That's quite a bit later than it used to be, and I understand the whole thing with the career. I, I, I actually blame the whole thing on Lego. I mean, seriously, if you, if you walk through your house and your kids have left Lego on the floor and you step on it, you don't want to have any more children. I mean, that stuff is painful. But I, I'm curious, like all joking aside, I'm sort of curious. 1.4, have we lost a little bit of our, um, our view, like maybe our view of having children has changed somewhat in, in our culture, right? And maybe part of it is we don't want to give up our rights. If marriage, we give up half our rights and kids, we give up the other half, maybe we don't want to give up the other half. Maybe there's, there's something there that, that, that's become difficult for us in our culture to embrace and that is giving up our rights, and giving up our privileges, and living a life sacrificially for others. Maybe that's become challenging. I'm not saying I know the answer. But parents, God is using the vital relationship in your life to weed out that selfishness. He's using the vital relationship in your life the relationship you have with your kids to shape you. Now, you may be molding little minds, but God is also using them to mold you. And it's not just marriage that can be a mirror that shows us where we need to grow up. Our kids can show us that too. Have you experienced that? Any flaw they see in their parents, they're quick to point it out. The other day, I came home from work, and and there's my daughter, four years old, looking so cute, and I just came over, and I gave her a little kiss on the cheek, and she said, Daddy, you need to brush your teeth. (laughs) Does Daddy's breath stink? Yes. Right, it's like, okay, it's hard to hear that, and and when you have teenagers, it's hard for them to critique your driving when they don't even have a license. Uh, You know, there's these things where you're like, okay, but you're getting an awful lot of Truth, unfiltered truth, that isn't always fun to get, and um, and they're eager to point out the flaws that we have. But if we're willing, God can use our kids to create a, a new humility in us, to create an honesty in us, to create a recognition of our own sinfulness. Have you ever apologized to your kids? Yeah. So it's a very significant thing for you and for them. It can, God will use our kids to, to show us our need for God. So it's a vital relationship he's using to make us more and more like himself. I look at the New Testament commands for parents and there's not a lot actually in the New Testament. Let me just give you a couple. This is basically the whole list more or less. Colossians 3.21 says fathers... Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Ephesians 6.4 is very similar. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I think I use that in the NLT. In the NIV, I think it says, Do not exasperate your children. Dad, you're exasperating. I haven't heard that one yet, but... If they listen to this sermon, they're not, my kids are, are gone right now, but they listen to this sermon, they'll probably use it with me, right? Everything, you know how kids are. So don't embitter your children. Don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate your children. But bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So how does God discipline us? How does God discipline us? I, I think my, the better parenting moments for me are when I bring firm discipline that comes from a place of love. I realize that behavior is foolishness. It's going to end badly in life, so I'm going to confront that. And there's going to be consequences if that doesn't change. Right? I think that's the better parenting moments. The worst ones are just explosions when you're annoyed. Right? It's like, oh, man. You you know it's parents, right? This is going, oh, that was not my best parenting moment. But think about the, the discipline that God gives to us. He disciplines us Because he loves us. That's said again and again in the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New, that that's why he disciplines us, because he loves us. And so when you receive discipline from God, receive it because it's coming from a heart of love. And then try to imitate that as a parent with your kids. Lord, give me a heart of love for my kids, give me patience, give me endurance. I don't want to embitter my children. I don't want to provoke them to anger by the way I treat them. I don't want to exasperate them with the way I'm parenting them. God, change me. Change me. God will use the vital relationship you have with your kids to change you. Now, so half of you are sitting here going, this is a great thing. Yeah, give it to those parents because you're not a parent. But you are a kid. You're somebody's kid. You're somebody's son or daughter. And so the other vital relationship that God wants you to shape you is the relationship you have with your parents. So not everyone here is a parent, but everyone is a, is, a, is, a, is a child. And listen to the commands that are given to children. And we are all somebody's children. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you are a child living under your parents' roof, I'd say, I don't know, Maybe there's a, if you're 35 living under your parents' roof, maybe, I don't know, maybe it might be different. But if you're a child and you're still growing up, you should obey your parents. You should obey them. I mean, the only exception is if they ask you to sin. If they say, hey, kid, let's go rob a bank. Say no. But generally, the rule is very simple. Obey your parents. It's practice for obeying God. In fact, Obeying your parents is a way to obey God. So if you're sitting here today and you're here with your parents, I'm not trying to make it harder on you, but you should obey your parents. That's what the Scripture says. Deuteronomy 5.16 takes it to another level. It says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, so that you may live long. Sounds like, why? Because they'll kill me? No so you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So before they went into the land there was teaching for the kids. They said oh, honor your parents, honor your father and mother. This is actually one of the 10 commandments. It's the 5th of the 10 commandments. In fact, if you're looking on the page right now, you still have your Bible open, you can see right there the 10 commandments are in chapter 5 and chapter 6 is where this is where we're reading, right? So honor your father and mother. Ephesians 6, 1-3 puts both of these together. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. That's the reason for obeying your parents. Because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. So, uh, the part about obeying your parents might end at adulthood. Now, different cultures do that differently. The amount of sway parents have in some culture is much, more, is much greater than it is in other cultures. So I'm speaking to different cultures here. I'm not going to try to define the line, especially not defining it as a Western Canadian, because there might be other cultures that would maybe, the obedience thing might extend longer, right, in some households. I think in Canada, we sort of say, well, you're 18 now, so, you know, be a man, be a woman, step up, and and maybe we wouldn't say the obedience line. We might say it ends at that point. I'm not totally sure how you view it. But obedience might end at adulthood, but honoring your father and mother never ends. And it doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. What matters is if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then honoring your Christian or non-Christian parents is an act of obedience to God. And if you've just become a Christian in the last, like, weeks or months or years, this is one of the first things that should change. is how you honor your father and your mother. So I think it would, you know, one of the greatest testimonies of a transformed life is if a non-Christian parent were to say about their kid, my kid got religion, and all of a sudden, They're way more grateful. They're way more respectful. I got this card. It's amazing. At Thanksgiving, the words that they said, we don't even talk like that in this family. I think that would be amazing. So I would say, if you're, now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's not too late to change your ways. But honor your father and mother. And in a non-honoring culture, some cultures are very honor-shame, right? Eastern cultures are more like that. In Western culture, we're more individualistic. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm 18, I'm on my own in my own life, and we're very much, we're not, we don't do it quite as communally as the Eastern cultures do. But in a non-honoring culture or a non-honoring family, if you honor your father and mother, it will stand out. It will stand out. In fact, I'd say, if you're honoring your father and mother because you're obeying God, I would even let him in on that truth. I mean, not just, you know, you're honoring them because you're obeying God, then link it to your faith. Right? I read something in the Bible the other day that made me think of you as my parent, and I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks. I heard something in church that made me realize what a sacrifice you made for me and I just want to honor you for that. You know, Proverbs are great material for this. Proverbs is full of like what is wise to do, what is good to do. You can just read in Proverbs and you'll find things and you might find something that you say, hey, my parents did that. So write him a card and then include that proverb in it. it said, I read this and that's you. You are a great example of this. If it's for a mom, go to Proverbs 31. It's a huge list of things women should be praised for. So you might look through that list and you might find one where you're like, my mom, she does this. I can praise her for that. And so honor her, right? There's even, this verse, I mean, it seems like there's a problem for almost anything that people do that's good. So that's a great way to bring scripture into, especially if you have a non-Christian parent. Use scripture. See, I read this. It reminds me of you. I respect you for what you did or for who you are. Right? There's even a verse in Proverbs 31 that praises a woman for having strong arms. You see, I can't think of much to honor my mom for. Well, I always say, start with she gave you life. That's a nine-month investment. Very significant. And then maybe she's got strong arms, and you can use Proverbs 31 for that. But honor them. So these commandments today, verse 6, so I'm jumping into verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The first assignment a parent has after loving God is to store up God's word in their own heart. So love God with all your heart, your soul, your, and your strength or your might or whatever. But then these commands are to be on your hearts. And then the next command is to teach them to their children. Verse 7 says, impress them on your children. And the NLT, I love how it says in the NLT, it says, repeat them again and again to your children. So what does that mean? It means read and keep reading the Bible together. Read and keep reading the Bible together. In our family, we have a nine-year gap between our older boys and our younger two kids. So I often say to them, you were the practice kids, and now we're getting it right. <laughs> but you know what? It's, most people just have one run at it. They don't get the second chance. And it's hard because, you know, you get, you're a rookie when you're doing something so important, like parenting. You don't have the experience, and you just fumble your way through, and you, you make mistakes, and you have regrets. So I'm, I just talking to you who are starting out. Maybe you're parenting young children like we are, again. Maybe you're in the diaper years, or, or, or you can't wait till the kids can be on their own and they're being babysat. Here's my advice to you. Read the Bible with your kids and just never stop. Just read the Bible with your kids. It's the one... Having a second chance, it's the one thing we're doing differently. We're doing a few things differently, but it's the most important thing we're doing differently with our second batch, is that we are reading the Bible with them. And never quit reading, with our first kids, we would read the kids' Bibles with them up to a certain age, but then it's like there's, all a, ton, there's a universe of great books to read. I wanted to read them the Chronicles of Narnia and The Hobbit and, 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 all, and all these different books. And so we did, and that, that was all good. That's a really good thing to read with your kids in all sorts of books, but you know what? I, neglected in those years was reading the Bible. Once we got out of the kids' Bible storybooks and the kids had their own Bibles, I just neglected reading my Bible with the kids. I read them tons of other good things, good Christian books. But what I'm doing differently the second time around is I'm never going to quit reading the Bible to my kids. I'm never going to quit that. So um, when they're little, we read the Bible storybooks. You might have got one from the church when your child was dedicated. I'm not sure if you did or not. But get a good child, uh, Bible storybook with lots of bright pictures in it. It's awesome when they're little. Start the habit young. In fact, I went to um, our children's pastor, Laura, and I said, which Bible storybooks would you recommend? And she has a list. And I bought pretty much everything she recommended. So we have about four at home. And, and with uh, my third son, we cycled through all of them. And ten, then when he turned six... I shifted. I said, okay, now's the time I'm going to start just reading through the Bible. Like, not, not a fun little kid book, but just a normal Bible. So whether it's on my phone or whether it's, you know, the Bible you have in the in the bench with you like that, just to read through it. So I started, because kids are pretty concrete at that point, I wanted to do stories. So I did Genesis and Exodus. I skipped a couple, and then I went to Joshua and Judges. Again, these are all, his, they're all story more and narratives. And... Um, Joshua and Judges, and then First and Second Kings, and then we went to uh, the book of Mark so we could do the story of Jesus. That's the shortest of the Gospels, and so we did that one. And right now, we're almost done the book of Acts. So that's what we're doing. And I, every time at bedtime, when I put him to bed, um, maybe he'll read something because he's a learning reader, so maybe he reads Hop on Pop or something like that so he can you know get some Dr. Seuss in him. And then I make sure he gets some Bible in him and, we, and and those are the two things we would do at night. And my intention is to never stop reading the Bible with my kids. When your kids get older, you can tackle some of the more abstract stuff, right? Like, you know, the, a lot of the New Testament is not necessarily um, story format. It's like letters that were written to instruct us. So as your kids get a little bit older, that's that'll be probably the next one. I think the next step we're going to make, my son is eight now, is we're going to take actually the story. A couple of years ago, we had that as our sort of our teaching theme through the year was we were going through the story of the Bible and it's actually a one bound book that has basically just scripture that takes us through. I think we're going to go one more round through that. And uh, so we really got a good handle on what is the overarching story of the Bible. And then we'll move on to probably start reading more instructional stuff like in the New Testament. So, it's our responsibility to teach our kids what God has revealed about himself. Yes, there are church programs. We have an amazing children's ministry here. We have an amazing youth ministry, a student ministry here. There's a, great, there's a couple of great Christian schools around. There's internet resources. There's lots to supplement, but the main course is You, as a parent. The biggest influence in the early years is the home. And the most influential teachers are mom and dad. And you're always teaching, even when you're not teaching. When you go for a drive and you comment that the other driver should have used their signals, you're teaching. Some people say, and this i just touch on real quickly. Some people say, well, I, you know, maybe it's better just to let my kids, you know, grow up and make a decision for themselves about these things it's sort of madness actually because you don't do that in any other any other area right do you say well maybe a kid should grow up and decide you know whether or not they should go to bed at night i'm going to just let them decide that in their childhood years right just give them the freedom to do whatever they want in that no you say there's a bedtime you should go to bed, right? There's so many things that you, you are, are clear about, even just teaching things. You, know, you look up at the stars and you say, yeah, those, those stars, they're actually like our sun. They're actually bigger than planet Earth. Oh, how dogmatic you are. Why would you poison their mind? I mean, you just want them to know truth. And the Bible is a powerful truth because it's the truth that helps them to enter into a relationship with God. It's the most important truth that they can know. And so be directive about it and go after it. So it's our responsibility. So the next few verses really just hammer this home. It says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. My grandpa was one of the most out there Christians in my small hometown when I grew up. Surrus, Manitoba. He had a photo studio. He was a, he was a photographer and that's what he did for a living. And um, his photo studio said, um, Jacobson Studios, in business, serving the Lord. Once you've done that, there's no hiding it. And so, everybody knew. He was an out and out Christian. So he was on display for everyone to see. And so it was like, he just decided I'm just going to be out and out about my faith. Well, Talk about when you sit at home, tie them as symbols on your hands, write them. It's just talking about all these. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates and on your photo studios, I guess. So what are some of the practical ways to do this? Well, one of the ones that, uh, again, Marnie and I had a discussion. When, at the beginning of the year when we were uh, taking everybody through the discipleship pathway, that self-assessment where you could say, what's my next step? Marnie and I did the same, uh, di- you know, analysis thing reflection that you guys did, and we talked about it, and in the end we came to this discussion. We need to shift as much as we can. Our next step is to shift as much as we can so that our home is a Deuteronomy 6 home. And so we want to talk about these things and we want to uh, uh, write these things, and we want these things to... We want it to show up in every area in our home. We think that's the next step for us. So we started looking at different ways to do that. One of them was, um, we would... we. Live in one section of town, and we draw our school where our kids go is on the other side of town, so it's like a 10, 15 minute drive. And we're tired when we do that drive. So we said, Well, how can we utilize that time, right? This is like the walk on the road time. And so we started, um, we said uh, that from now on, when we go there, we're going to play scripture songs on the way to school. So I'll give you a resource that's really good Seeds Family Worship. You should really check it out. It's just scripture. The songs, they're fun, they're well-written, they're enjoyable, but it is simply scripture. If you want to memorize scripture and you struggle to memorize scripture, listen to Seeds Family Worship, and you'll find that you will be able to recall scripture verses. I think they have like about, was that 187 songs that they've made? So 187 scriptures that are set to music. I mean, you can just pull it up on your, probably Spotify or your Apple Music or whatever like that. And just play the playlist. Seeds, family, worship. And so when I, I talked to my, my um, teenage son who's now driving them to school, and I said, listen, I know you want to listen to your playlist on the way to school, but on the way to school, we need it to be seeds, family, worship. We, need it to, we just need Scripture. We want it scripture. We want scripture to get into our hearts and our minds. And I had this brainwave just this week as I was thinking about this, and I think it might be from God just to say, I think I should take the scriptures that are on the songs that we're playing a lot in our kids, like we play them in quiet time for our younger one or we play them on the way to school, we should take those songs and we should make signs out of those verses and put them up in the house so that we're learning the verses through song but also being able to look at them visually and we're memorizing the verses. So I'm not sure which room in the house has room for 187 signs, but we'll start with a few. So there's lots of things that can help us to Hide the word in our hearts. And I think Seeds Family Worship, I highly recommend, I think several of our staff in, on our, our pastoral team are using that resource to help our kids to memorize the word of God. Um, so look at your life. Where, where can you talk about God? Where can you bring these things into your life? In the car, maybe on your walls, in our bathroom. If you saw our bathroom on the main floor, I, put a, I got permission from my wife. I got permission to put up a little bulletin board there, and on that bulletin board, I just post different things. Right now, on that bulletin board, you'd see some of the scriptures we read today. Children, obey your parents, for this is right, is up there. Fathers, do not anger your children, right? That's up there as well, right? So it's not just, you know, it's an equal opportunity at home. We want everyone to obey Jesus, right? Uh, I have another sign up there that just says, love God, love others, just very... You know, I have you know a quote from Tim Keller up there, but I just put stuff up there that reflects that, as for me and my house, we're here to serve the Lord. And I don't know what you, you want to do in your house, but there's lots of different ways you can do these things. Maybe... I keep thinking about Saturday nights, how important it is. I've been in so many church services in my life where I'm in a worship service and I can't stop thinking about the movie I watched the night before. That bugs me. So I've been trying in my discipline to make my Saturday nights, if we're going to watch anything on Saturday nights, I try to make it like something edifying, something Christian, something that will, if I'm thinking about that movie, I'm also praising God. Because I don't want Sunday, I don't want to, me to, I don't want to be robbed of the opportunity to be wholehearted in my love for God when I come together. So I, I think differently about Saturday nights, and, and we're trying to figure that out as a family, how to make those Saturday nights a setup for the gathering of the people of God the next day so that we can really fully participate and we're not thinking about Captain America or something, right? That we're thinking about God. So right now you might be thinking, okay, it's great. It's great that you have a second chance, Steve, but nobody else has a second chance or we don't have a second chance or maybe you're a parent and your kids are grown and you're saying, well, it's not that encouraging. I have lots of regrets and I wish I'd, you know, made some of these changes years ago. But I want to I say that if you're still breathing, it's not too late to make a change. It's not too late to make a change. The story that comes to mind is King Josiah. He renovates, he's, he, he wants to serve God and so he takes this step of, let's renovate the temple. It's fallen into, into uh, disrepair. So he's got these workers renovating the temple. And as they renovate the temple, they discover something that had been lost, the book of the law. They discover the book of the law. And they bring it to, uh, to him, and they read it. And King uh, Josiah is astonished. In fact, he's sort of horrified by how much they have neglected what God says is right and wrong in their nation. I mean, they didn't even have a copy of the book of the law, and they found one in, you know, in the rubble of the, of the temple. And so he goes into full-on repentance mode. He uses his heart, he uses his soul, he uses his might, his strength, to make things right with God. This is what it says in 2 Kings 23:25 Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. So if you still got breath in you if you can understand what I'm saying here this morning you can still repent you can still turn to God like Josiah did with all your heart with all your life with all your resources. You say oh, I don't have the resources of a king. Well, that's probably true. Or I don't have that leverage that I used to have with my kids when they were young. That's probably, very, that's probably also true. But it doesn't mean you can't do anything, nothing. I would say that God is gracious. He is, he is willing to forgive. If you repent, if you say, God, I didn't... I, I didn't Value your word. I didn't, I, I didn't do things right in, maybe even in how I was parenting. I have lots of regrets. Bring that to him. Receive his forgiveness. And then don't live in the guilt of the past anymore. Don't live fixated on those things. Put those things behind you. Live in the now. Live in the present. And turn to him with your, all your heart. Wholeheartedly say, with what I have left, with the opportunity I might even have with my kids even in these days, I want to serve the Lord wholeheartedly in these days. And God delights to give people who who regret the past, he delights to give them a clean slate and a new start. So don't live under the guilt of the past. Embrace a new day with God through repentance, just like Josiah did. You know, the end of the, Deuteronomy 6 says this. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Okay, I'm just pause there. If you heed what God's calling you to do, if you obey him in this next season of your life, you're going to experience the goodness and mercy and grace and blessing of the Lord. He's that good. It goes on to say, Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So when you experience the blessing of God in your life, and many of you can testify that you've experienced the blessing of God in your life. There's a great caution with that is do not forget the Lord in that. God has brought so many good things into your life and they brought satisfaction to you. But don't ever begin to think that they themselves are the ultimate source of satisfaction. The good things that God gives from his hand is not nearly as good. as the goodness of God himself. So I'm going to just encourage you, if you're starting over today in your parenting I want to encourage you again, God is gracious he's willing to forgive, he loves giving people second second chances and new starts in their relationship with their kids and in their parenting. I want to encourage you just to to focus on two things The, the scriptures the scriptures there's a bazillion things you can do out there In fact, recently I got a good devotional book and I started reading it with my son. And as I was reading it, I was like, this is good, this is good. But I'm not, I don't want to, like if it ever came between reading the book of Acts, which you are reading right now, and this, I'm going to read the book of Acts. So focus on the scriptures. And the second one is also really important. Focus on what God has done for you and tell your kids what he's done for you. So this is something from the past. Maybe you have some big climactic stories. I love telling my kids about when my dad came to the Lord as an adult. I also love for whenever um, their other grandpa comes over and he tells about how he came to the Lord. They Both of them became Christians as adults. Great stories. I love hearing those stories. Those are the big, some of the big stories in our family tree, when God invaded our family trees. Those are exciting. But also the small stories, just like, when I'm in a time of worship in church and a song has words that become meaningful and life-giving to me in that moment. Tell your kids about those things. Tell your kids about your ongoing relationship with God. I remember some of the moments with my dad that were most meaningful and impactful to me was when dad would tell me about how he was, what God was speaking to him, what God was, what he felt God was calling him to grow in. It wasn't that my dad had arrived or that my dad had got to some pinnacle. It was that he was in a living relationship with God. Tell your kids that. So in order to not have a generation that grows up and doesn't know the Lord or what he has done, it's the scriptures and it's your story and the stories of those who've gone before those are the things you want to pass on to the, the, the next generation. That they know God through the way that he's chosen to reveal himself through the scripture, through the word of God, the Bible. And they know what God has done in your life and in the lives of your parents and in the lives of the community. They have ample reasons to say that the God of the Bible is alive and well today and he's, he's He's vitally engaged with the people that he's called to be his very own. Those are the two things that I I want to just make it simple for you as we end. Don't stop reading with your kids. Bring the scripture into any crack you can find in your life. Put it on the walls where you're going somewhere. Talk about what God's doing. Scripture and your story. Would you stand with me?